All right, well, hey, I hope y'all had a great uh, Easter, Truett. I hope you had a great Easter break. Fun fact, UNG, they did not go to school last week. That was their spring break, so uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit different there. But uh, I hope you guys, whether it was Easter break or just Easter, maybe you got to spend some time back home. I hope you enjoyed time with family. Um, I hope you celebrated the good news of the gospel. And uh, the good news about Easter uh, is, not, or is, is that we don't have to stop celebrating the good news of the gospel uh, at Easter. That we're going to continue to talk about it all year, every single time that we get together. And so uh, that's going to be threaded throughout what we talk about tonight. But um, I want you to open your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be tonight. And um, as you're turning there, I'll go ahead and tell you why we are uh, headed in that direction tonight. So uh, we are headed to Deuteronomy chapter 6 because we're starting a brand new sermon series called The Bottom Line. The Bottom Line. And Caleb kind of alluded to this, and I'll set it up for us like this. I um, I have tried to postpone telling this story that I'm about to tell to you guys. Um, for as long as possible, but tonight's tonight. We finally made it. I want to tell you the story about um, my uh, first date with Aaliyah. Um, so it's not one that I'm proud of. Uh, there are some stories that I'll tell that, you know, I'm like, I- I'm pretty proud of. This is not one of those. Um, so my first date with Aaliyah, uh, I felt like I was under a lot of pressure. And I don't know why, but that's just kind of the nature of first, first dates, right? Like, has anybody, how many of you have been on a first date before? At some point, that could be like middle school first date or an actual first date when you're in college. Uh, yeah, so there, there's a lot of pressure that's associated with them, right? Um, and you, you can really feel that pressure, and, and you're probably at some point you're wrestling with like, all right, is this a date? Is this not a date? Like, what do I have to do? How do, how do I need to impress her? So all these things were going through my head, and uh, what, what we decided to do is that uh, we were going to go to the zoo, all right, the Jacksonville Zoo, and um, one of the first things that uh, I ran into that gave me some trouble was this whole thing. Again, I'm like, I don't know whether or not, like, is this a date? Is it just two friends hanging out, getting to know each other? I had no idea. So we roll up to the ticket window. I was like, I'll take a ticket for one, and I just passed right on through, and then she was like, I guess I'll take a ticket for one as well, even though I wasn't planning on paying because that's something that I should have done. Uh, the, the day continues, you know, we're hanging out. And at some point she said the word um, fingers, but she said it like fingers. And then I decided that that was something that I needed to tease her about like I was in middle school. It was like the most, I mean, looking back on it, I'm going, what am I doing? But I know that I was nervous because I felt all this pressure uh, because, I, you know, there, there's just so much pressure that comes alongside of a first date. But here's the thing. Looking back on it, I know that had I just understood the bottom line, had I just understood, look, on a, on a first date, get to know her and don't be an idiot. Like, if I could have just gotten those two things down, it would have been so simple and so successful, right? Well, praise the Lord, it still worked out. We're just fine. Uh, But that is my first date story. And I tell you that to tell you, again, had I understood the bottom line, just get to know her, don't be an idiot, it would have made it a lot easier. And a lot of times in our relationship with the Lord where we we can look at following Jesus and we can be intimidated by it because it seems so complex, it seems so like intricate, like there's this massive book and we're supposed to like do everything inside of this book. I mean, it's really thick, like it, it can feel like a lot. But at the end of the day, if we just understand the bottom line, like the most the most basic principles, then I think it would be kind of a similar situation where we would find out that it's, it's a lot easier than we think it might be. 
It's a lot less complex, a lot less confusing, a lot less intimidating than it might feel like on the front end. And so we are going to spend some time uh, over these next two weeks studying uh, what are known as the two greatest commandments, the bottom line of our faith. And uh, the reason that these are kind of considered the bottom line of our faith, uh, we'll read here in just a second, is, uh, is that this is actually the entirety of the law boiled down into two statements. So way back when, at the beginning of the Old Testament, you'll read uh, that God kind of made an agreement with his people. We refer to that as a covenant. God, God made an agreement with his people. He said, I'm going to give you this law code, 613 commandments that these people are to follow. If you, if you follow these commandments, I'll bless you. If you don't, I won't. That's how it goes. And, and so in Mark, what we're about to read is an I know I told you Deuteronomy. I'm going to read Mark, and then we're going to go to Deuteronomy. You'll see how that all works in a second. Uh, but what I'm about to read is this guy that's going to come up to Jesus, and he's going to basically say, Jesus, all this looks really complex. It looks really difficult to follow. So, so what's the most important thing? So I'm going to read in Mark chapter 12, and then we'll get to Deuteronomy in just a second. So it says in Mark chapter 12, it says, One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them, uh, well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than than these. So, so in that passage, that's kind of going to be like our, our banner over the next two weeks. In that passage, we see Jesus take that super complex 613 commandments and boil them down into two. Love God and love people. If you ever think following Jesus is, is too difficult, too complex, man, this looks like a lot. I don't know if, if I can uh, tell someone how to do this, and I definitely don't know if I can do this for myself. At the end of the day, y'all, all we're doing Love God, love people. And tonight we're going to talk about what it looks like to love God. And so the way that we're going to do that, like I told you, we'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 tonight. The reason that we're there is because that first commandment that we just read, love God, Jesus didn't just like come up with that right, right then and there. I mean, he, he came up with it, but uh, he didn't just come up with it in that moment. It was actually something that he's drawing on from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a really famous passage of Scripture that's uh, commonly known uh, to the Jewish people as the Shema, all right? Now, all that Shema means is here, like with your ears, here. And, and this is a prayer that has, the, the Shema is a prayer that Jewish people have, have prayed daily for like thousands of years. It's a super, super popular, like a, a keystone uh, pillar of the Jewish faith. And so tonight, this passage is going to teach us about what it looks like to love God. So let's read it. You'll see it's really similar to what Jesus just said in Mark. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel. That's where Shema comes from. Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is where we're going to spend our time uh, tonight in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. So, lots of people think 
that when it comes to, to loving God, what they really think that it means to love God, they, they think that that means to experience God. They, they think that that means uh, to experience God. And so they'll, they'll say things like, well, you know, how, how do you know that you love God? Well, I go to church or I go to Revive and I really enjoy it. So I love God. You know, or maybe they say, well, I, I pray and I feel like God speaks to me or I at least really enjoy praying. I enjoy reading the Bible. And so that must mean that I love God. Or uh, I went to Passion Conference this year and I shed tears. And so that must mean that I really love God, right? But here's the thing. When, when we read in, in that passage, you shall love the Lord your God, that word love in ancient Hebrew looks a lot different than we might think of our English word for love. That, that word in Hebrew is the word ahava. It means to love, but, but it really speaks uh, not to emotional attachment, but more to loyal obedience. So you can think of it kind of like a, a marriage covenant, right? It's not just, man, I, I'm emotionally attached to this person. It's like there's been an agreement made there. Like for better or worse, there, there is loyal obedience, obligation to that person. And that in this passage is what it means to love God. It means that God is not just to be experienced, but God is to be obeyed. And so as we talk about loving God tonight, I want us to understand that a lot of times we, you know, we boil that, the, great, the two greatest commandments down, love God, love people. And yeah, we're talking tonight about what it looks like to love God, but really we're talking about tonight what it looks like to obey God. Because just like we read in the New Testament, John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You, you see that parallel there? That, that's what it means. And so tonight we're going to be talking about loving God, but what it means within the context of this passage that we're really studying, is we're talking about how to obey God out of love for God. So this passage tonight is going to teach us three ways that we should love God. Three ways that we should love God. And it doesn't take like, you know, a, a Bible scholar to, to figure out what those three ways are. Tonight we're going to talk about how to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. So let's talk about uh, loving God with all of our heart. That's the first thing that it says in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So, when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all of our heart, our minds automatically go to this, right? Because this is our heart. And we know that because we have technology, and it is very helpful. And back in, uh, in biblical times, to, the, to the, ancient Hebrew, the ancient Israelite people, they did not have that technology. So here's what they knew about their heart. They knew they could feel something beating inside their chest. They knew that when life stopped, this thing stops beating. So, so they actually saw the heart a lot different than we do. When we talk about the heart, we're kind of talking about like the core of a person, right? We say things like, man, his or her heart is not in it. Or we say, well, oh, they're putting forth a half-hearted effort, right? It, it's really the core of a person. We say, we say, like, let's get to the heart of the issue. We're talking about like the core of someone. But the, the thing about ancient Hebrew is like, they did not have any sort of a concept of, of a brain. Like technology, you know, it wasn't there. And so they really had no concept of a brain. So really when they talk about the heart, they really are, are referring more to what today we, we would say comes from the brain. 
See, in, in biblical Hebrew, the heart, uh, it, it actually is this word, levav. I want you to, uh, to try that out with me. Go ahead and try to say, levav. Wow, that was great. Beautiful inflection. Uh, so that, that Hebrew word, levav, a lot of the things that we associate with the brain are wrapped up in that word. So, so in ancient Hebrew, you thought with your heart. We, we read in Zechariah chapter 8, uh, the Bible reads, it says, let none of you think evil in your heart. You see how that, how that works? Like we, we don't, today, we don't say we think with our heart. We, we would say think with our brain, but that's how they interpreted things. Matter of fact, in biblical Hebrew, when you would come across the word happy, the direct translation is actually uh, good of heart, right? And so, so not only do you think with your heart, but you also feel with your heart. You experience things with your heart. So in ancient Hebrew, the heart is more about what you feel, all right? So, so really what we're talking about when we say we're, we're loving God, we're obeying God with all of our heart, we're saying, well, what does it mean to love God with all that I feel? To which you might be like, huh? Like, how, how does that work? What does that mean? Does it mean that I'm supposed to try to control my feelings? Like, can I even do that? Well, we're going to break it down tonight, but I'll just tell you, it's less about what feelings you have and it's more about what you do with the feelings you have. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Do y'all realize that we live in a culture today that absolutely inundates us with the message that our feelings are truth? Y'all realize that? Like we get that message every single day. If you watch the news, you get it like every 30 minutes. That what you feel is true. And that's why we, like, we hear these things like, all right, if I'm biologically born a man, but, but one day I wake up and, and I feel like I'm no longer a, a man but a woman, well, then, I mean, that must be true of me. Right? Culture would say, well, then, then you need to act on that because if you feel it, it's got to be true. They'd say the same thing about, about homosexuality, right? If I feel attracted to the opposite sex, well, that must, or to the, to the same sex, that must just be who I am. So, so why would I go against, why, who am I to argue with what I feel? Like we get that message, that message is inundated to us all the time. And that's where culture gets it wrong. See, here's the thing about our feelings. Talking about loving God with all of our heart, with all that we feel. Our feelings are real, but they are not reliable. Our feelings are real, but they are not reliable. They are not a source of truth. Do you know who uses their feelings as a compass to navigate life? Children, right? Like, like do they not? Like, I mean, I mean if y'all babysitted before, been around kids, you know that that's true. Kids, like the way that they figure life out is they just feel things and then they act on them. So it's like if I'm hungry, then I'm going to cry, scream, lie, steal, cheat. I'll do whatever I got to do to fix that hunger. Same thing if I'm thirsty. You know what? If I feel like taking my shoes off and putting it in the toilet and trying to flush them down the drain, or you know, like that's great. That's what I'll do because that's, that's what it looks like to just act on your feelings. But, but y'all realize, like, our feelings are not true. They're not, they're not 
They're not by default right. And the reason for that is that each and every person on the planet was born into a sinful world where like our natural proclivity, our our disposition is that our thoughts and our feelings would drift not towards but away from the things of God because of sin. Like that is naturally, we, we do not naturally drift towards the things of God. Our thoughts uh, a follower of Jesus or not, do not naturally uh, lead us towards the things of God. And that's echoed all throughout Scripture. Uh, the book of Jeremiah in chapter 17 says, The heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The heart, what you feel, is wicked and deceitful. That's why in Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon would write, Above all else, guard your heart. Because everything that you do flows from it. It's why Ezekiel would would write that, hey, these people, their heart is hard. The only way that we're going to fix this problem is if they get a new heart. And and as believers, under the new covenant, you're probably going, now, wait a second. Isn't like Jesus supposed to start changing my thoughts, my feelings? How does that work? Well, yeah, as believers, under the new covenant, we've been given this new gauge, this new compass with which we can navigate life. And that's the Holy Spirit living inside of us, uh, helping guide us through life, empowering us to to make wise choices and and have right feelings. However, until we get to the place that that we have left this sinful world and we are in the presence of Jesus, we still have a flesh. Like there's still gonna be this part of us that, that tries to gravitate back towards, away from the things of God. And so, in light of that, when we're talking about loving God with all of our heart, well then, what does it look like? Well, here's how it works. Don't trust your feelings. Test your feelings. Don't trust your feelings. Test your feelings. Well, what does that mean? All it simply means, when when I say test your feelings, is to when you get in a moment where you are feeling uh, you, you are feeling some way and you are about to, to act or, or you know, do, do anything. Take your feelings. Take the truth of God's word. And hold them side by side. And go, does this and this line up? Do my feelings line up with the truth of God's word? If not, you're going to have to act in such a way that goes contrary to your feelings. And I'll just tell you, that goes completely against the message that culture would try to tell us. Culture says you need to act on those feelings. Like, that's who you are. And and I'm here to tell you, who we are is sinners that fall short of the glory of God. Our responsibility is not to just trust everything that we feel, but to test everything that we feel and go, does it line up with the truth of God's word? And if it does, man, absolutely, those feelings can be trusted. And so, examples, right? All right. I feel attracted to to this person, and they are not a believer. I feel attracted to this person, and they're not a believer. and, And, like, I just can't help but feel that way. Like, Feelings aren't always a choice. Like, I don't think they ever are a choice. Like, I, I, I just can't help but feel like, man, this attraction for this person, guy or girl that's not a believer, what, what do I do? Because I just can't help but, but feel this way that I do. Well, take that feeling 
and hold it up against God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, that is a truth in God's word that does not line up with the way that I feel, which means I need to move in a different direction than my feelings are telling me to move. Right? Uh, same, same thing, like let's take, man, I feel unworthy, I feel unloved, I feel alone, and, and the, the thing that, the only thing that I feel like can make it better is, is to start to, to try to feel something, to start to step into self-harm, to start to step in uh, to you know, all sorts of things that I probably should not, right? You feel that, how do you test that feeling? You hold that feeling up. I, I'm, I feel unloved. I feel unworthy. I feel alone. You hold it up next to Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand in advance, that we should walk in them, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that those feelings, even though that might be the way that we feel, we do not have to act on what we feel. Goes completely against what culture would say. But I'm, I'm telling you guys, our, our feelings, they are real, but they are not reliable. They're not. So take what you feel, hold it up, and examine it alongside of truth. If it lines up, it can be trusted. But if not, loving God with all of your heart, with all that you feel, means choosing to move in the opposite direction of how you might feel. Let's jump into the second thing. Not only are we supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, but we're also supposed to love the Lord our God with all our soul. With all your soul. That's in verse 5 as well. So <clears throat> when we're talking about loving God with all of our soul, same as like that word heart, the English word that we typically, you know, soul, what, what the picture that that paints in our minds is different than the picture soul would have created uh, in the minds of, of, of the Israelites, in, in this ancient Hebrew word for soul. When we think of soul, we think of what? Like We think of like this, this part of, you know, deep down inside of you, can't really put a finger on it, uh, that just gets released after death. It's like the immortal essence of a person, right? But in ancient Hebrew, the word for soul is actually the word nephesh. Everybody say nefesh. Okay, not as much passion as lavav, but that's still good. Uh, so nefesh, right? Now, let me tell you how nefesh is, is often translated in the Bible, what it's, what it's often used to refer to in Scripture. A lot of times, nefesh can actually mean throat. Isn't that weird? Like, love the Lord your God with all your throat. Not really. So the reason that oftentimes you, you see these discrepancies in like English versions of words and Hebrew versions of words is like, I don't know if y'all get this, but they were like kind of just figuring this whole language thing out. Like they weren't as far down the road as we were. And so where for English, for us, like we have very specified, very direct definitions for word. In ancient, in ancient Hebrew, they, they weren't as far developed. And so certain words were like packed full of meaning. And this is one of those words. Uh, it was often you would read, okay, throat is, is a way that it's directly translated. And so like when the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness and they were thirsty, they would say our nephesh has dried up. But it, it also means a lot more than that. Because like a corpse, like a dead body was also referred to. Uh, nephesh was used as that. They would call it a dead nephesh. So the reason that we see those two things is, is that what like... You, what did they know that your throat is used for? Life, 
Like every, everything about you, life, uh, happens when you breathe, right? And it goes in and out. And so that is what they thought. Like they would use, to, use it to refer to the whole person. Like literally me and I, when we read me and I a lot of times in our Bible, that's that word nephesh. And here we have it translated as soul. Well, really, what we're talking about, when, when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, it, it means love the Lord your God with your whole physical existence. It's like everything you do. So here's the question. Are you loving, and again, obeying God with what you do? It's a big question for sure. Are you loving God, obeying God with what you do? It's a big question. We could go all different directions. We could talk short term. Like how do you spend your days? How do you spend the, you know, the, the hours of your day? Are you loving God with what you do? But I want to talk more big picture. I want to talk more long term. Are you loving God uh, with what you do? And I would really, um, I would say that for us tonight, what we're going to talk about, I want to break this down Loving God with all of your soul into two parts. Into two parts. Like loving the Lord your God with all your soul is really striking a good balance of two things. And those two things are this. One, using your gifts for His glory. And two, finding your identity in Him. We're finding this balance. We're striking this balance of using your gifts for His glory and finding your identity in Him. Here's what I mean. First of all, loving God with all of your soul, it looks like using your gifts for his glory. So uh, my wife and I have been in uh, the house that we currently live in for two years now. We're coming up on two, it'll be two years in May. And uh, homeownership is super cool. It can also be super frustrating. So we, we bought a house that was like newly built. It was new construction. And um, I don't know if you guys know this, but they don't always get everything right. Matter of fact, sometimes they make dumb decisions. And so uh, one of those dumb decisions uh, I was just able to fix here recently. I've become a real, like, home project guy in my ripe old age of 25. And so uh, we, we, we had this problem in our garage. The way that they built um, our garage, there is like this, this beam that runs along the middle of the, the ceiling of our garage. All right, it's kind of like a drop-down beam. It's got sheetrock over it, so it looks like, you know, part of the wall. Uh, but it is, I mean, our ceiling is like this, right? And so what they did, you would think if you were designing this garage, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. You would think, all right, let's put that garage light right under that beam, right on the bottom of it, so it provides light to the whole garage. No. What they have done is they took that light, and they put it not on the bottom of the beam here. They put it here. <laughs> they put it up on the side of the beam over on this side. So what we have is Star Wars in our garage. We have the light side and the dark side. And, and like genuinely, I have been outside trying to do... Oh my goodness, okay. Sorry. We have been... That's what I get for mentioning the dark side in a sermon. So we, you know, I, I have literally been in my garage and I've had the lights on and everything. And I've been trying to do like, you know, work, like projects. Like it's my man cave, this garage, Right? I mean, like, I was trying to build a smoker. I bought this smoker for Black Friday last year. Tried to build a smoker. It took me four hours, and I had to wear a headlamp the whole time. Just sitting on my garage floor with a headlamp because the, the stupid light is in the wrong spot. All right? Y'all get that? It's annoying. Every good builder knows that if, if you want to light the house properly, you got to be strategic. you got to strategically put lights in the right place. When God designed you, and when God designed our, our world, 
he was very strategic about putting lights in the right place. And so for each and every one of you, he was strategic about the gifts that he's given you. Like maybe for some of you that gift is like engineering. Maybe for some of you that gift is, is writing. Maybe, you know, something uh, in, in art. Maybe it's kinesiology, whatever the heck that is. Uh, maybe it's like, you know, nursing. Like it, it, could be, it could be anything, but God has strategically placed lights everywhere for the sole purpose of pushing back the darkness, for, for lighting those dark corners. And that does not happen if you do not understand that and use your gifts to make much of Him, to bring Him glory. Like you literally play a part in lighting up this dark world and helping push back the darkness with the gifts that He has given you. So, so we use our gifts, whatever that is. Plumbing, like technology, computers, uh, like it could be a trade, it could be uh, some major that you take, it, whatever it is that God has specifically gifted you with. You are a vital piece of bringing light to this world. You are a vital piece of, of seeing the light have a chance to shine in the darkness. But there's a danger that comes along with those gifts. There's this danger that God has given us that comes alongside of those gifts. And that danger, it, it really is something that's becoming a whole lot more prevalent in this day and age. That danger comes from forgetting about the one who gave you the gifts in the first place. So much so that you would begin uh, to allow your identity to rest in your gifting and not the gift giver. That like as you, as you spend your years in college right now, you're refining those gifts. You're, you're training to take those gifts out into the real world and put them into practice. And there's no better time to remind yourself daily that every good gift, talent that you have been given, skill that you have, like every single one of those things that you have been given comes from God. And, and if you're successful in using those gifts one day, that too comes from God. Like, like every bit of it is a good gift from your heavenly Father. And when you miss that, you'll begin to place your identity in your success and your gifts. And that's that balance that we have to strike. Using our gifts for His glory, but also keeping our identity rooted in Him and not the gifts that He's given us if we are to love God with all of our soul, with all of our physical existence. Reminds me of a, a story. You don't have to turn there. It's in Second Chronicles uh, chapter twenty-six. King Uzziah, a really popular king. He was like one of the good kings that reigned in Judah. And and the Bible, when you read in Second Chronicles twenty-six, the Bible is very specific that God blessed Uzziah, like that he was super successful. But the reason that he was successful is because literally it, it tells us that God helped him accomplish incredible things. Uh, I mean, it's so clear about that. Um, and so the Bible said, or it says, it says, he did right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amziah had done. And then it goes into this long list of things that Uzziah accomplishes with the help of the Lord. In verse 7, it says, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal against uh, the Meonites. It would then go on to say, uh, it would go on to talk about the, the armies that he assembled. 
it would go on to talk about these like military feats that, that Uzziah accomplished. It would talk about like things that he built. Like he helped fortify the city uh, or the, the kingdom of Judah. Like he did so many incredible things with the help of the Lord. And it says his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped. Check this out. Until he was strong. In verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Like success can be dangerous when we allow our identity to become rooted in, in our accomplishments. When we forget that, that any gifts and talents and abilities that we have are given to us by our Heavenly Father. So, so we, if we're going to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, we've got to strike this balance between using our gifts and not placing our identity in the gifts, but placing our identity in the giver of the gifts. There's a third thing that's a part of this passage. Flip back there in, uh, in verse 5. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We talked about that. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. And finally, love the Lord your God with all your might. It's often translated as strength. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your might. So, so what, is, what does this look like? Well, very similar, you could have guessed probably. Uh, there is a Hebrew word for this too, and, and it doesn't, this word strength, we're not talking about our English word strength, like, you know, big muscles, anything like that. We're talking about uh, something completely different. The Hebrew word here is the word me'od. Me'od. It's, it's actually most commonly used as an adjective. And what it, the way that it's used is you would place it alongside of uh, another word, and it would like amplify to an exponential level the meaning of this other word. So when you read the creation account, God's created everything, and, and he, you know, it's the sixth day, he, he turns back, and what we read is, man, God looked back, and it was, everything was very good. But the direct translation would actually be it was me'od good. Like it, it takes that word good and it amplifies it to an exponential level. So like literally translated here, uh, like it doesn't really make sense. Uh, but if we're to read this, at, you know, kind of in that fashion, it would mean to love God with all of your muchness. Like that's kind of doesn't make any sense at all, right? So really what we're getting at, it speaks of taking your obedience, your love for God, to an exponential level, to, to the highest degree. And, and so I, I want to invite the band back up at this time, but to, to do that, I think, to a, a Hebrew audience, they would have heard that. Like, our obedience to the Lord, like, this needs to be amplified to the highest degree. They would have heard that. And they would have probably, their minds, the, the Hebrew audience, would have thought back to that list of 613 commandments. Like all those commandments, the whole of the law. They would have looked back to that and they would have gone, okay, if I'm, if I'm to, to love God to, to the highest degree, to obey God to the highest degree, what that has to mean is that i got to keep all 613 of those laws like perfectly. And so that's probably, I would imagine, when, when, when they read this, and they, they see, love the Lord your God with all your heart, yeah, soul, yeah, with all your might. Like, like with all, to an exponential level, they're going, all right, and i got to keep 
every single one of those laws. Here's the problem about the law. What, what would happen uh, in, in every single time with the law is this cycle. This cycle where, uh, you know, you, you understand, okay, here's this standard that I have to uphold. But what always takes place is, is that when someone would try to uphold that standard, they would come to the reality, the realization, well, here's the standard, I don't measure up. So, so now I have to go and I have to make an atonement for, a sacrifice, in order to cover my sin. And so now, you know, I'm good again, and then here's that standard that I have to try to keep, but oh yeah, I don't measure up. Like, there's always something that goes wrong. I always break this law in some way. So now i got to go offer another sacrifice to, to get in, in the right place again. And then, oh, here's that standard. I don't measure up. Sacrifice. I'm back. Here's the standard. I don't measure up. Got to offer another sacrifice. It's this constant cycle over and over and over again. Another sacrifice to try to atone for your sins because we don't measure up. And so... A Hebrew audience, that's where their mind would have gone. They, they would have thought, all right, obeying God with all of my strength looks like keeping this. Which is why when Jesus started his ministry on earth in Matthew chapter 5, he, he would say, he would loudly say, in, like in the face of all kinds of people who like this, you do not say these kinds of things to, to these religious leaders. Jesus goes, hey, I'm not here to abolish the law, to get rid of the law, but I'm here to fulfill the law. Like, I'm here to be the fulfillment of this thing that leaves you in this constant cycle of having to atone for your own sins and never being able to fully and finally satisfy. I'm here to be the fulfillment of that. This is how they would have interpreted those words, but today... When we read, love the Lord your God, to the highest degree, we interpret those words a lot differently. See, today our minds, don't, they don't get pointed back to a collection of laws, but they get pointed back to a cross. That cross that was the full and final satisfaction for, for the punishment that we deserve to pay because of our sins. It was the sacrifice that, that the old law it could not satisfy. That's where our minds go back to. Like if we're to love the Lord our God, to obey God to the highest degree possible, well, that looks like responding to the highest act of love and grace and mercy possible. Responding to that by placing our faith in it, by accepting that gift that, that Jesus gave us in going to the cross and defeating death. Like, like, if we're going to love the Lord our God to the highest degree, it starts there. And so tonight, man, there's, there's this verse that it's so clear that this option is on the table for every single one of us. Second Timothy, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. That the opportunity to love God to the highest degree, to obey God, to follow God to the highest degree is on the table for you tonight. And it's wrapped up into the, in the truth that you were created by a God who loves you so much you are separated from Him because of sin. 
but God was not okay with you being separated from him for all of eternity. So he sent his son Jesus to be that sacrifice uh, that we were supposed to, to be. Like uh, we, this, to settle this penalty, this punishment that we were supposed to pay. Jesus came, paid it in full, and now we have the opportunity to accept that on our behalf and step into eternal life with God forever. That's the offer that's on the table tonight. So the band is about to lead us here um, in, in, a, in another song, and the opportunity is on the table for you to respond. And uh, I'll be down here off to the side if you have any questions about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to first, uh, you know, for the first time in your life, make that decision to place your faith in him. But also, this area down front is going to be open, and if, if, if there's been, you know, anything tonight that has resonated with you, whether it's loving God with, with all of your heart, with what you feel, loving God with all of your soul, with, with all your physical existence, or this last thing, loving God with, with all of your strength. Well, this area is going to be open, and I, I would love to invite you to spend some time in prayer with the Lord and just respond as you feel led. So again, I'll be down front off to the side. would love to have a conversation with you. This area down front will be open. But I want to invite everybody to stand. I'll pray. And uh, uh, you guys just respond as the Lord leads you. God, we love you. And we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. God, you uh, came and, and did something unbelievable in, in sending Jesus to atone for our sins. God, a payment that we could never pay on our own. And Lord, we're grateful. And God, our response is to follow you, to love you with everything that we have. And Lord, I pray that that's true of each and every one of us in this room. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And God, we fully admit that we need you. And so, Lord, I, uh, Father, I pray over everyone in this room that if there is anyone here that does not have a relationship with you, God, that, that they would make that decision tonight. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.